0: Our series of Bible readings this morning come firstly from Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. They're lengthy readings, so you may want to follow them in your pew Bible, page 523, if you wish to follow it. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled... There will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you, as people rejoice at the harvest, and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniform's blood-stained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. And then from Judges chapter 6, Gideon becomes Israel's judge, is the heading. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goat, cattle and donkeys. These enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count. And they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you all up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon's son of Gosha was thrashing wheat at the bottom of the winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say, the Lord brought us, brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you, as if you were fighting against one man. And the final reading comes from Romans 8. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? And the Lord bless those readings.
1: This St. Andrews is God's Word. And a wonderful warm welcome to those who are listening online as well. It's great that you are joining us. This morning we're going to see how the prophecy about the Messiah, about Jesus, written hundreds of years ago in Isaiah 9, mentions the Messiah will break our oppressor's rod, there will be a joy that will be overflowing, and we'll even have our enemies... Been able to serve us. Oppressors broken, joy overflowing, enemies serving. But first, a refresher from last week. Right? So this is the whole Zion 9. That's what we're looking at this morning. That's the primary text uh, in, the, in the run-up to anything. And it does I have mentioned some other texts, but that's that you'll see them in into play why I've chosen them this morning. But the main text is the Zion. And I said, one, one of the key aspects of Jesus' ministry, you know, I said, even if you're not a Christian, you're just spiritually seeking. It's an important thing to know that Jesus claimed to fulfill or to complete all of these prophecies or predictions. Over 300 of them written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And that Isaiah 9 gives a key key passage, and it is mentioned by Matthew. And it's actually one of the very few prophecies in Isaiah 9 that Jesus could choose to fulfill. So Jesus woke up on his his, his look, looked at today's list, and said, Oh, I need to be in Galilee to fulfill the prophecy in Isaiah 9. But he get down there, and Matthew says, Look, Jesus is seeing himself as the Messiah. All right, then two, I looked a central to the Christian faith is understanding that Jesus and the Old Testament prophets speak of the Messiah bringing light and hope to a dark world. This is Isaiah 9. And I put the, the question to you, isn't that isn't that quite offensive? Christianity claiming to be the light of the world, Jesus claiming that. And I said in today's culture, most Kiwis were a very, you know, many most Kiwis here in the campaigns are hostile to the Christian faith, I think. And so they would say, all religions bring light, or no religions bring light. And some of them might say, all religions except for Christianity bring light. Christianity is just a really bad egg, among, 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 among other things. These are the sorts of statements that you hear. So I had a look, and we looked at how the Christianity, in terms of has changed the world, human rights. And I looked, for those that were here, you can go on to YouTube, I looked at actually one of the famous atheists who wrote in 1887 the parable of the madman and how he was saying the entire of European civilization was founded on Christian values, human rights, all these things. And in the intellectual elites in the 1880s, about that time after Darwin's theory of evolution, higher criticism, and a few other things were coming into the intellectual things, they had killed the idea of God's existence. God didn't exist as an idea in the intellectual elites. And what Nietzsche said is, you've killed God, but you're still living to all of the values of the Christian faith. And he, he predicted Uh, That actually, in the 20th century, there'd be the rise of what he called supermen, Ubermensch. These these supermen who would understand that all moral values are illusory, and that the powerful seize whatever they want. He foresaw Stalin and Hitler and Pol Pot and the hundreds of millions people who realize good and evil—they're just illusory. There is no such thing. The powerful take what they want, and if you're weak, you suffer what you will. And so we look central to the Christian faith that actually the Christian faith has brought life. And then we had a look at actually, this light isn't just about changing the world society wise. It is about a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. You can experience the joy and light of the gospel in your own heart. Here's a question. Are you religious this morning or have you encountered Jesus Christ personally? So, there's the three things that was the last week. Jesus, hundreds of prophecies. If you are spiritually seeking this morning, you're wondering whether the Christian faith is true. Do you know the prophecies? Have you had a look at them? Incredible detailed prophecies, hundreds of them. Secondly, the change. You know the difference that Christianity has brought into the world. And, and thirdly, have you encountered personally a spiritual experience of the light and joy of the gospel? And now today, oppressors broken, joy overflowing, and enemies serving, verses four, verse three, and verse five of the of this, of the of the Isaiah passage. And we're going to look at the, this is the part of Zion 9. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people who rejoiced at the harvest, like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burdens from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. That whole second passage, we had a reading on that. And the boots of the warrior and the uniforms blood-stained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel. For the fire. All right, the oppressor's rod will be broken. You will break the yoke of the slave and lift, this is the first one, and you'll lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You'll break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. Now, here is Isaiah, written hundreds of years before the Messiah, Jesus, was born. Right, he's like, as part of the role of bringing light into the world, he will break the yoke of people's slavery, just like the Midianites had their uh, the, the Israelites had the yoke of the Midianite slavery broken off them. So he references it, right? So there, is Isaiah talking about Jesus, he gives a particular example of what the imp- oppression would look like and what Jesus would do to break it. Are you with me? All right. So what was the story of Gideon's defeat of the Midianites, and why would Isaiah reference this as part of Jesus's ministry? Well, the Old Testament story in Judges tells of Israel rebelling from God's laws. Right, And you get to see this sort of theme, actually. And you get to see it, actually, in Western society, in lots of nations. This whole thing of them having God's laws and God's values and coming to church. I remember what that was like, going forced to come to church, not really sort of, you know, these are the values, the Ten Commandments. You get to hear that stuff. And then you want to break loose and you want to have fun. Well, that's what the Israelites did. They wanted rebellion. They wanted fun. They wanted to do whatever they wanted to do. And those very things that they thought would be fun led them to being enslaved, and in the particular case, being enslaved by the Midianites. And then when they're at rock bottom, what do the Israelites do? They call on the name of the Lord. And you get to see this theme within Judges. And here, then, and then there is Gideon who comes along, who breaks that rod of slavery. And, and what, this, what Ziah is saying, Jesus will do this in your life and in mine, this is actually one of the roles that Jesus would have. So what is this rod of, of oppression or a yoke of slavery that's on us that Jesus is promising to break off our life? May I suggest it's actually sin and the addictive nature of it. And so I think of my life and some of the uh, sins that I had uh, uh, got addicted to. And what I noticed is that the first time or the second time, it's quite fun. Who's done some sin in the first few times you enjoyed it? None of you. You guys are amazing. You don't even listen to sermons. You should be preaching up here, right? If you, your is amazing. You're all sitting there, right? But this, for me, the first few times, but then what happens is you become enslaved. And so I think of lying uh, as a classic case. The, I discovered lying was awesome when I was a young uh, kid because people believed me. I Look at my little innocent face, right? And so I'd just turn up, and you just tell a lie, and people believe you, and then you get away with stuff. I mean, how awesome is that? And so I'd go through life just lying about stuff. The problem was it became addictive. And so someone would put pressure, Alistair, were you involved in X, Y, and Z? And what was the first thing that would come from my mouth? No, that wouldn't be me. It's my brother or whoever. And instantly, I start to realize that it actually became addictive. And there were lies that I was starting to tell. Then I had to tell lies to cover those lies and lies to cover those lies. And it became a web of it and it was addictive. And any time the pressure came on, the first thing that came out of my, my, my mouth was a lie. The very thing that I th- I loved lies. This is sweet. You get off of so much stuff and you, seem to be- you get to enjoy bad stuff and look good. That's what lies enable you to do. And that's why I enjoyed it. But then it became a web and addictive, and I found myself a slave to the very thing that I enjoyed. And I, had no, and I had that sense in my soul that I've got no integrity. I am turning, I'm not a fraud as a human being. And though that, that web of lies became an addiction, and it was a slave, I became enslaved to the very thing that I'd chosen. So that was, you could choose anger, right? If you see, who's seen people who've been addicted to getting angry and using anger to control people? Maybe you had a parent who uses their anger to control you. It's addictive. They want to control you. They want to do whatever they think. They don't just use nice parental. They use anger to control you. There's all sorts of things that are out there, sexual immorality, you name it. And so it's a chance to look at your thing. What sins are you enslaved to this morning? And so Jesus came, and he was breaking that rod of slavery, Now, uh, and so often some of the very fun things that we enjoy end up enslaving us, and Jesus the Messiah came to break that rod of slavery. And so uh, I have to say, is there anyone actually here who is a fan of country music? Oh, there's a couple, there's a few. Well, I have to say, I'm not a fan of country music, but my wife's been listening to it lately, and I've been growing. I guess it's becoming like a, you know, I'm I'm growing in my appreciation. And there was a couple of songs that one came across by a person called Morgan Wallen. Has anyone heard of the American country singer Morgan Wallen? He's uh, in 2021, his album was the top album in the United States. And right now, in the top 100 songs, 36 of his songs are in the top 100 in the United States. That's pretty impressive. And so his life, he grew up in this religious uh, upbringing. It's a bit like maybe South Africa or the southern parts of the United States. A lot of church going, a lot of religiosity, a lot of doing the sort of uh, Christian stuff. Historically, that's you know how it was in the States. So things have changed, obviously, in South Africa and in, uh, and in the southern parts of the States. But he grew up in that vibe. You go to church as a cultural thing. And then he rebelled and walked away from that. And then he became enslaved by the various things that he was doing and, he, and then he came, uh, 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 there's a whole hit rock bottom in the, in, the, in, in the industry in Nashville, which was the, the capital of country and Western music, cancelled him entirely. And then over two songs came out. One was about his mother's praying for him. Over this whole thing of him spiraling, his mother, it's, a very, it's, got, it's got hundreds, millions of hits. And the second one is a Christian song, arguably, and it's I Don't Think Jesus. And I want to play it to you. Uh, so, hopefully, just a little clip of it. I'm not going to play all of it. I don't normally play country music. Can you guys hang up with, with a country song for a couple of minutes? Don't Think Jesus by Morgan Wallen.
2: <laughs> Morgan took guitar and starts writing songs. About whiskey and women and getting too stoned, he got all three at the first show we played.
1: He'll just have to um, go and buy it online or watch. I'm not trying to sell Morgan Wallen to you, but uh, just a little clip of it. And the rest of his uh, story is on it. So I don't know where Morgan Wallen's with the Lord. I make no predictions about his future. I think of Mel Gibson who wrote the Passion of the Christ and then all of his personal issues. So it's very tough if you're following Jesus and you're out and you're out there selling songs. But the, the Morgan Wallen song relates to the Israelites, right? The Israelites grew up religious, and that religious background, just like Morgan Wallen growing up in the Bible battle of the United States in that area where people go to church, do religious stuff. And then it's like they hated it. <laughs> like, who wanted to do this stuff? And they wanted rebellion. And then those very things that they wanted ended them up into a place where they called on the name of the Lord. And then Lord came and broke the yoke of the oppressor. And this was the same about Morgan Wallen. Uh, he ended up in slavery to sin, and then he cries out to God because he figures, "What else can I do?" And the Lord comes through and says, I, and he figures, "I wish he had been woken up by some other way. Sometimes the only thing that God can actually through to get through to our heart and hearts is actually pain. If life's sweet, we don't care about Him. He might speak to us in our consciences. Saying we're going the wrong way, but it is pain, that says that C.S. Lewis says that's a megaphone to a God-deaf world. And so one of the key roles that that role of Jesus was breaking this rod of oppression, of slavery, of sin, setting me free from a habit of addictive lying, among other sins. I'm not gonna, you know, we put all my whole dirty laundry in front of you this morning. You'd be glad. And for Morgan Wallen, his life of hedonism and rebellion. And perhaps there's someone here this morning. That you're under slavery this morning. Jesus breaks the oppressor's rod. Oppressor's broken. And then he goes on, joy overflowing, verse 3. Now, to astute observers, you'll note, this is the quality of the joy looked at last week. But with my lovely wife, uh, Catherine, dying of cancer uh, and just the whole situation, over the last few months I am just saturating myself with scriptures on joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Every morning, I'm just filling myself, sort of an opposite spirit to how I'm feeling. I'd be like, I do not want to get out of bed today. My life sucks. Woe is me. Self-pity party. I'm great at pity parties. It's one of my like, giftings to actually have like a pity party in my head about how terrible my life is. I don't know if any of you have giftings like that, but I do. And I have to fight that with the joy of the Lord. And so I'm going to mention this again, that one of the fruits that comes out of knowing Jesus Christ is joy. So may I suggest to you, this is a difference between a religious congregation and authentic Christian congregation. Who's turned up to a religious congregation? It's like this. Are you filled with the joy of the Lord? Yes. Have you encountered Jesus? Yes, but not here. Right? That's sort of dead religious. It's the difference between champagne and warm, lukewarm lemonade. The gospel of Jesus Christ transforms versus a, a weak counterfeit. And Jesus came to have, give us overflowing joy. All right, I'm not suggesting you know, that, that we become a happy, clappy congregation. All right, and that, that in itself can be a performance put on. But there is a joy, and the joy, may I suggest, is most noticeable when life is really tough. Happiness is given by circumstances. Joy comes from the Lord, and nothing can take that away. Do you know this joy? It is one of the fruits of the Messiah coming. He will break the rod of your oppressor on you, the addictions, and you will encounter the joy of the Lord. There are people in New Zealand, and they are seeking happiness and joy and everything else except the one place that will offer it. But the sad thing is they come to church, and do they experience the joy of Christians? or Do they see religion? Right, and I suspect for Morgan Wallen, as he grew up in that Bible bout where everyone went to church as a big cultural gig, he wasn't seeing a lot of authentic lives turned around. He said, I'll find my fun in a honky-tonk bar with woman, wine, and getting high and chasing millions upon millions of dollars. A press is broken, joy overflowing, and now enemies serving and it goes this little passage here: the boots of the warrior. This is the Isaiah passage, and the uniform's blood-stained by war. Remember the midnight's thing that's been broken. He gives us joy, and then he says this: and the uniforms blood-stained by war will all be burned, and they will be fuel for the fire. Now, I don't know if you've had any of you here this morning have had major trauma in your life, profound and deep trauma, like a divorce or uh, abuse or neglect or stuff with your parents, and it's massive. One of the things I've noticed with my trauma that I've had happen in my life is that even after the trauma's gone, there are triggers for it. I could see a car. It could be a chocolate cake. It could be a person commenting. It's something, and then suddenly it brings back all of that past trauma. Are you with me? Are you with me? All right? One of the things, in the the case of the United States of America, there was the Civil War in the 1860s, and the the war was about many things, but one key thing it was, was slavery. And uh, the the northern states, uh, when they won the war, the proclamation of slavery was given to the south. And in the slave plantation, where they'd all been slaves for their entire life, there was a thing that represented that slavery, and it was the rooster. At 4:30 in the morning, every day that rooster would call, and every morning around, or sometimes three in the morning, or whenever, and when that rooster crowed, that was the time. Often in the middle of the night, for all the slaves to get up. That was the alarm clock before there was ones on our phones and so forth. It was the rooster's cry, and so every day for their whole lives, and they knew that that rooster would cry till the day they died. They were property. There was no retirement. And so when the, when the proclamation claimed that they were free, and it was the first day where they were no longer slaves, and the rooster cried out in the morning, oh, that one of the slaves got out, and he went as he always did at that time, and went and got some farm equipment, an axe. And then he walked over to that rooster and killed it <laughs> before going back to bed for a sleepin'. And then later that day, it was KFC for brunch, Kentucky Fried Rooster. For brunch. And this is what the passage here is getting is that the very thing that's a symbol of your oppression, God will use to become brunch. Are you with me? Do you see what I'm getting at here in the text connecting the rooster? that the very things that often that that trigger trauma in your life, that make you feel that your life is really sucky and that creates massive pain is that God will not only break the rod of the press, he will not only give you a joy that is inexpressible in the midst of tough things, he will use the very things that, that are triggers for trauma and sadness and he'll get them to serve you and your purposes in life. This is what the Messiah does. And so as I look at my life, and as you know, I'm in the toughest time of my 47 years of life watching my wife die. I'm saying, Lord, that not only do you break the rod of, of slavery of my life, but you give me a joy that is inexpressible. And the very things that are most causing me pain, these are the things that will actually ultimately serve my everlasting joy. How can that be possible? Because we have a God who is sovereign over all of the suffering and pain we encounter here on earth. And he can use anything and everything to serve our purposes. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble, calamity, or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? As the Scriptures say, for your sake we're killed every day. We're like being slaughtered like sheep. All that suffering, right? And it says, no, despite all these things happening to us, right? Maybe not to you this morning, but to lots of Christians around the world. The overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. The Lord will use those things to serve his purposes in our life. And I, you know, as I look at my life, I can think of how in the last year, Things have been happening in my life that could not have happened through any other means other than Catherine having a terminal cancer diagnosis. And Catherine, she was talking, we are in Hamna Springs at the top ten. And we're talking to the, to the manager, that, the amazing manager they've given us. When they've heard about Catherine's cancer, she didn't give a sob story, but they upgraded us to a free luxury accommodation. It was like, amazing. And we had this, you know, from the, from the modest accommodation we could afford, we got given the luxury. And they shared that they actually that their niece had died of cancer. And the year before she died of cancer, she, when she had the terminal diagnosis, she did the coast-to-coast, coast, which is a pretty amazing run, and did all these things, and then she died. And you could see the pain, actually, on these people. And we're sitting there at the office counter, it's sort of polite chit-chat. You don't really know them. You could see the pain that was there. And then Catherine just said, She said, You know, this terminal cancer diagnosis has been a gift to me. She said, I wouldn't wish life to be any other way than what I have. And when you saw the faces of those two people, they were like, <laughs> It was like, like the computer went into reset. We, don't, we do not understand. We do not compute. That doesn't make sense. How can that suffering be a gift? Because if you know Jesus Christ, he will use everything to serve his purposes of joy and purpose in your life. Do you know this, Lord, this morning? You know, one of the things I pray is that, you know, as I come and we've opened the word of God, is that the word of God would drive religious people that either choose to leave or they would come to know the reality of the word of God this morning. I know most of you do. All right, and that's and which is wonderful. And so, these are the three things we have oppressors broken, we have joy overflowing, and the very things that most cause us pain in our life, they will serve us. And this is one of 300 prophecies that the Messiah gave. And so, let me just finish just with this uh, brief story. It's one of the ones that um, is meaningful to my heart. It's from The Hiding Place. Who's read the book by Corey Ten Boom, Hiding Place? And so I was just listening to the the part where they were coming into Ravensbrück prison. Of course, as many of you know, uh, 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 Corrie and her sister Betty had been hiding Jewish people in the hiding place, but they'd been ratted out in the the Netherlands by one of the Nazi sympathisers. And of course, if you were uh, rescuing Jewish people from certain death in a concentration camp and you were found out, you would get their punishment. So off to uh, the concentration camps they went. And Raven's book was a horrific prison. Every day, dozens were dying of diseases. And Betsy, of course, would later die of tuberculosis. It was only through a, an incredible uh, mishap in the administration files where instead of Corrie being sent to die, she was administratively released, which shouldn't have happened, which saved her life. But the, as she was there and they walk, she walked in on the, on the thing and saw those uh, into the first of the barracks dorms, and she said, nausea arose of the smell of the of all of the stuff, there was the, the the sewage system wasn't working and the smell, and it was just like packed with people. And every time that person would die, another person would just be sent to replace them. And dozens were dying every day. As they're walking by, you couldn't walk with two people. Just one person, if you're reading the book, one person walking down. And they reached there. There was third a third slate up, four across. And they realized that this was their place. And so they climbed up. And you couldn't sit up. There was about that much room between the, the platforms. They're lying down there. It was day. Most of the people were still out on work crews. And suddenly something bit her, her leg. And she looked around. She noticed that the entire straw, the rancid, reeking straw with human excrement and so forth and everything else was covered with swarms and swarms of fleas. And for Betty, this was breaking point. I hate fleas too, so I actually get Betty's view. She could handle the concentration camp. She could handle the starvation diet. She could handle the things, but every night lying on thing with thousands of fleas crawling over her body, that was the breaking point. And he said, how can God be in this with the fleas? And Betsy said, you know, we should give thanks in all circumstances. And, she said, and, and Corey said, even the fleas? Even the fleas. And they found out later that the fleas were the very things that drove out the, uh, the guards, the SS guards, out from the barracks. And that because the place was swarming with them, Corey and Betsy had a window of time until Betsy died to actually witness of the grace of Jesus Christ. The the fleas were serving the purposes of the gospel. And the concentration camp was to produce a book that would save millions. And as she go around Germany preaching, she encountered the SS guards, the very ones who had enslaved her and they were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. From one Netherland girl who decided to give her life to the Lord. Do you have a precious rod broken off your life this morning? I hope you have. Do you have a joy overflowing? When life is tough, it is the joy of the Lord that will be your strength. And may I suggest to you that the very things that are the most irritating, right now I've got a few fleas in my life. Right? Things that are really I do not like. And I would give anything to change them. But I am choosing to believe that the Lord will use those fleas to further, further the gospel. That those fleas will serve me. They're going to be my KFC brunch this morning. What fleas do you have in your life? And do you actually trust that God will use them to further his kingdom? If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, because there is, of course, that proviso. if you do not know the Lord, then these wonderful promises do not yet apply to you. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we do thank you for your word. And as we make our way through just one of the hundreds of prophecies about the Messiah, my prayer, Lord, this morning is that you would break the rod of the oppressor of people here. There might be one person who's feeling in slavery this morning, and you would break the rod, that they would experience the joy, and they would come to know that the very things, the very fleas in their life, the very enemies that are causing them pain, they would come to see your power bring those enemies that pain to serve them and bring about everlasting joy in Jesus' name. Amen.